Hello all, so excited that everybody is here with us. Welcome to season three, episode three. Like, yeah, how y'all feeling so far? Good, I I am excited. This unmasking season is gonna be very telling and revealing, but needed, so I'm excited. Yeah, it's already been telling and revealing and it's been amazing. And we're only on episode three, so Lord, I don't know, I don't know. It's been good. Listen, last week I feel like I cried, or last time I feel like I cried at the episode. I was like, did she know she was taking us to church? Right. It's like, she needs to take an offering collection. That's pretty much where we are right now. <laughs> so as we have some amazing guests in the past, tonight is no different. We have the amazing, the outstanding Dr. Um, Dr. Coles, Dr. Crystal Coles from Morgan State. So we're going to allow her to introduce herself. So please feel free to unmute yourselves and tell us who you are. Well, hello. Thank you so much. So my name is Crystal Coles. I am an assistant professor at Morgan State University. I research Black women, mental health, different ways that we can go about preventing Black children in particular from getting into the foster care system. So just different mechanisms we can utilize in communities of color to uh, just help support one another to not be engaged in differing systems that tend to be oppressive. I've been a social worker and a clinician. I've been a social worker in the field for almost 20 years now. I've had a private practice in mental health for some years. And I also work with organizations currently in terms of how to have best practices and working with communities of color as well so that they have more efficient and effective services for them. I'm recently transitioning to being at HBCU at Morgan. Prior to that, I was at two other institutions and was at uh, PWIs. So it has been a really fulfilling experience even already. It very much feels like home, so I'm happy to be there. But so yes, I'm really passionate about preparing young students, but particularly students of color into going into higher education and what we need to do in these spaces to be marketable, competitive and so forth, but not at the expense of your own mental health and uh, things of that nature and just different things that we can do in communities of color, particularly for black women to be able to be most helpful as it relates to just mental health and well-being. You a whole boss, you know that? <laughs> yeah, I try, I do it. No, <laughs> you just spit stuff off. But I definitely want to shout out Morgan State, HBCU. Yeah. So definitely shout out. What is it, the Bears? Yeah, <laughs> so the Bears. And we are, you know, I, I love it. I love it so much. I think we do so much to help our students out. Student affairs is like mm-hmm. popping at an HBCU. It's so different. I went yes. to PWIs as a student, both private and in public. And then I was a professor at Eastern Michigan University, which is in like right outside Detroit. So predominantly mm-hmm. black and, you know, first gen students and stuff. And they had a good sort of student affairs approach. But when I also was at a PWI and it was totally different. So I, I really respect that we put students first. Our president actually got his degree in higher ed too. So we just like, it's a, it's a nice kind of vibe to being able to say like student life really supports success for students being able to matriculate. I, right. I, just, I really appreciate it. I wish I had had that when I was going through all the mother degrees because I did not. Uh, Listen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had doubt. <laughs> Listen, all the time. I was like, so wait, should I do this? 
So I think that's the beautiful thing about, as you all will see, everybody's, we're all really cool, but this is my best friend and, and she has been my advisor and all of that. So, you know, asking like, can you give me some advice to this? Or how should I be thinking about that? I mean, it's really great to have a team of folks because, you know, iron sharpens iron, as we all say, but that's really how we navigate these spaces that we're not essentially created for us and not not created for our survival so we have to lock up with each other and so which leads to the wonderful topic that we're going to say or we're going to talk about tonight which is you know salary negotiating particularly as it relates to black women and how can we effectively negotiate that salary process and so so as we kind of do like like we've done before um, we're going to mute we're going to you know kind of rotate asking questions just really kind of free flow because this is just a really really important topic and there's so much research out there that talks about how women don't necessarily negotiate salaries effectively. And when we kind of look at that intersectionally, and particularly as it relates to Black women, that has some additional layers. And so one of the first, I guess the first question that I want to ask is, is what are some things that need to be considered when we're thinking about negotiating salary for Black women in higher ed? Yeah, I think think a couple of things. So I am a big proponent of getting your coin. And I'm a big proponent of being very open about that, authentic about that, because I learned that my white counterparts were really doing that in a very effective manner. One of the most important things is to know what your value is at a table. And one of the things that I have realized year after year is that if I don't know my value, then I can be undervalued and treated as such if like when I'm at this table with other individuals. And so you have to know, like, you know, do your research and figure out what's happening within the realm of that school. And there is a, there are a variety of ways that you can do that. Obviously, when I go into a university and, and I've gone, I've been at three universities in terms of higher education. I also did a postdoc prior to getting into the academic side of things. And one of the things that I realized was that we ultimately do not ask for what is available. So it's not just salary, it's also what you need to do your job. Because some places have a cap with what they can offer via money, but child, they ain't got no cap for resources. So if you need something particular, don't, my thing is, you know, always be open to a slow yes instead of a fast no. So maybe they can reimburse you when you have to go out in community and do different things at a higher rate than the state because they can pull some of that money from a different pocket. You know, we have different revenue, we have different types of revenues that happen in universities that we don't always think about because you're thinking about what they offered you at the beginning. And what they offer you at the beginning may seem like chumps change until you think about how to stack your money or stack the resources to effectively do your job. I think not being afraid to ask for what you need, like and as small as something may seem, is pretty big. And you don't know until you get the job and you've negotiated those things that, hey, other people don't have that. That can be access to professional development. And, you know, conferences are expensive. And we don't oftentimes have the money to pay for those conferences because when you want to go disseminate, when you want to go talk about the work that you're doing with your students and so forth, those fees, membership fees alone can be $500. That hasn't even gotten you to the conference yet. So talking about are there professional development opportunities I can have in years one through three? And if they say, well, we can give you $500 this year, then you say, okay, but can we then double that the next year? Or can it be triple that by year three type of thing? 
you know, those type of things you have to know, like for you to be able to be marketable, which I think is the ultimate goal is getting into a space and realizing like marketability is what makes you an investment for the university. And also not looking at that job as your end all be all looking at that job as a stepping stone and then knowing what you need to be able to do to progress forward. So I think knowing your worth at the table and knowing what you need to make your job most accessible, knowing what allows for you to be marketable and not being afraid to say like, I got to go to conferences. If you want me to be able to take this program to the next level, we need like the community to know that those conferences don't have to be national. That could be local. Those are not free. So what do you need to be able to do your job? What do you need to be able to be successful and put that in your contract? That's what I would say. Yeah. Can I just piggyback? Because, well, ask a follow up to that, because something you said made me think, how does one get to that point? Right. Like you said, I noticed like people around me were doing it. Right. Yeah. I think that a lot of women notice that people are doing it. But how do you actually take your behavior from a thought to actually actualizing that I am worthy enough, I'm valuable enough in my just presence to move forward, you know? Yeah, I think that that is an internal, that's an internal well-being component. We know via literature and research that there's a lot of imposter syndrome that's happening with Black women in general whether or not you're in an academic space and whatever position you are within that space. It's that fake it till you make it type of vibe a lot. And one of the things that I think is in actuality is like, they're betting on you doing that. They're betting on you, I think, feeling like you don't belong. And essentially we're talking about operating in systems that never meant for us to belong. And Come on, talk that, about it. You know, because that's the case, it's like, it's sort of this mentality that we have to shift from the beginning. And I really believe that that happens with me in the classroom. I do that with my students so that they go into the field knowing you are valuable. Your perspective is valuable. And I think, you know, when you think about education, education reinforces these oppressive norms to where we are always thinking that we're the other. We're thinking that we're in this space that's inferior. And that is meant to be sure that when you go into the workforce, that that is reiterated over and over. I think we get into that space by educating ourselves about the system itself and not just getting this job. And I sort of think like, you know, when you are, I'm a first generation college student. So my parents' goal for me was to get an education. But my parents didn't know and were acculturated to what that meant once I was into this new area of world. I had to have, I had to find mentors. I had to find people to school me within that. We can't do it by ourselves. Because what I found was that I would get to the table and my counterparts had all this prep that I did not have. And it was the mentorship that I had from a variety of people that helped me realize, like, even though I have insecurities, and I do, you know, I have insecurities as a researcher, academic, and Black woman in general, I never let those be known at the table. But what I do know is I bet on myself before anybody else. And it was people that would reinforce the fact that it's your thoughts, it's your perspectives that are most valuable. And the difference is, like, there are so many times things have happened along the way. People have taken ideas. People have taken, you know, pubs. You know what I'm saying? Let's get to the nitty gritty when you get to this doctoral world. Come on. You better people tell it. Things from us constantly <laughs> and labeling it. 
And one of my mentors told, I would be so upset, like this fool is stealing from me. You know, they're taking from me and I would be, I would be emotional about it. And my mentor was like, you know what I'm saying? That person is never going to have another idea. You've got plenty. So when you believe in yourself, when you know, like an idea for me is something that's going to come back up. I know now that you're a thief. I know now that you're trash, right? And so I know how to engage and I know how to now, like I've learned this lesson from this process to not be vulnerable in this type of way. I really think the mentorship is so important to be able to be in higher education. And this idea, you know, I really, one of the things that I see that are bad about higher ed and black women in particular is sometimes we don't wanna support one another. You know, it can only be one. And that is ridiculous and foul because realistically it's like, we gotta work together in this space. You know what I'm saying? I don't care what type of you- You better tell it, girl. We have to collectively work together because not only are we talking gender norms and it being dominated, by male mentality, particularly at HBCUs, which is a whole nother realm. But we are also talking about the impact of this idea that we cannot collectively support one another. We should be mentoring one another immediately and saying like, let me connect you. You run this, run this by me. Let's talk through it when something happens so that you're not by yourself and you're not fighting those battles alone. Because otherwise that vulnerability turns into insecurity and that turns into you, I think, feeling like, you know, I can't do it. I'm not worth enough. And it's not that you're verbalizing it, it's that you're actualizing it. And then we don't then see Black women progressing inside of higher ed that way. We see us staying at a certain level all the time. And I think it's because of that. So I think you have like the mentorship possibilities and knowing that you need more than one, it can't just be that one person that's a go-to. One person might be good with getting their coin, but another person might be good with conceptualization. And another person might be good with helping your career longevity. We need a team to support us in understanding that we're taking these nuggets to like propel this next generation of knowledge and thought so that it becomes the norm. And I think then if we have that, not only just go ahead, like not only at the level of just student uh, student and the worker interactivity, but we have it at the level of staff and faculty and, and then administration. Because it's hard. I mean, it's hard when you sit in a class, you're the only Black student, and these people around you are discussing like ideas of Blackness sometimes that are wrong. And you don't want to perpetuate certain things, but at the same time, you don't want the responsibility of like schooling people, it starts like right then. Cause then when you go into them, when you get your degree and you go in this environment and you're the only one in the environment, you have no one to turn to. So you have to make that network sometimes outside of where you're working as well to be able to sort of continue to invest in yourself. If you don't invest in yourself, there's no way you're gonna be able to believe what your worth is. Cause that yeah. institution is not investing in you. I can tell you that right now. Listen, so I say that all the time. I always tell people, if you're waiting for your employer to invest in you, you ain't never going to make it too far. Absolutely. Uh, you got to bet on yourself, invest in yourself. And you said a couple of things that triggered me, you know, this whole idea that only one Black woman can be at the top at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, this whole idea that white people have been doing this, this negotiating thing, right? And so there is money to get. And I always tell people, you know, even if this is your salary, what can they give you in resources, yes. like professional development, et cetera? 
So can you kind of give like a synopsis of, all right, you apply for this job and now, you know, they want to hire you. What is the process that you go through to negotiate that salary? Yes. Okay. So first of all, there's a process that I go through individually. Once that they give me an offer, I would say, you say to them, I need a week to be able to give you a response for that. If your employer says, oh, no, we need to know immediately, you already know what type of employer that is. Because remember, it's about you knowing your worth. And even if someone pushes back, you can say, I have a couple of other offers, child, even if you ain't got near one, you say, I have a couple of other offers on the table and I really want to go through, I'd like to have a meeting with you at such and such a time. Can we set up another date to do that? One, because it gives you a moment to be like, whoo, I got an offer. I'm not going to be broke. Yes. Come on. (laughs) But then it also lets you get, lets it wear off and then think like, okay, but how do I make this work? What do I need to do? That type of a thing. That begins the process of research for me, which is then looking at what the other salaries are, particularly if you're at a state institution and not only looking at what salaries are within people that have your roles, but also have similar roles. You know, sometimes we get caught up with like, oh, you know, I got hired as an assistant professor in social work, which is what I'm in. But you can also look at what the range of stuff is in similar categories and say like, okay, so they might have a couple of extra thousand dollars or whatever. The other thing is to think about specifically, you know, do you need to do more professional, like what are the things you need in terms of like when you sit down and think like, okay, what do I need and what would I like to do? I know I want to go to NASPA or I know I want to go to, different conferences and so forth. So I want to have that inside of there. The issue with the contract is that once you negotiate it, you negotiated it. And the only way to shift that negotiation is to get another offer and come back to the table and say, listen, I got another offer, which is another thing you can do later on, by the way. So so you want to one, get your offer, two, get a certain amount of time to be able to think through what you need and be comfortable with saying, I cannot give you an answer in 24 hours. You know, this is a big job. No matter what your job is in higher ed, it's a big job. They have the time to give you to think through it. And while you're giving them, while you're saying like, hey, I'll take some time to think through it. They're also being like, well, where is her other offer at? What do you think she can get? And I will tell you within that time frame, I've had people email me and say, hey, just so you know, we found an extra $5,000 for X, Y, and Z. Or, hey, just so you know, you know, I needed more moving money. So we found some extra money to be able to do that. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, give it some time to figure out what you need. If you need moving costs, negotiate those costs. If they say we have 3,000, that means to me you got six. Okay? So that means I'm asking for eight so that you can get back to six. That's my other suggestion (laughs) is to remember what they're offering you is the bottom. It's Mm. not the top. And you can go how high you want and come back and negotiate that back and forth. And you may not think it's a lot if you're negotiating two or $3,000, but it is. There's a big difference with you starting, you know, at 65 versus 68, particularly when we talk about our raises and um, increases that are 2% or more as we progress on. So you have to be able to know those thousands of dollars are important and you want to get as much as possible out of it, right? The other thing that you may need to know is, are you on a contract that's nine months, eight months, or 12? If you're on a 12-month contract, 
that means you're not going to have a lot of opportunities to enhance your salary over those summer months and so forth. However, if you're on a nine month contract, does that mean there are opportunities for them to provide with you to get summer salary? Are there opportunities? Do you need, can you teach something? Could you add to it? You know, sometimes there's some, you know, what would you like to do? Like sometimes you get positions, like when I had my postdoc, there was no opportunity to teach. And I knew I needed to have some teaching opportunities to be marketable. And so I was like, even though I can't teach at the university, will you allow for me to teach a part-time job online or something? Will that be okay? And I got that okay inside of my contract. So it's like, never be afraid to think about what you really need to do. Because remember, they're not thinking about anything except for how can we get her or him at the cheapest? How can we do that for the least amount of money? But if you know at yourself, like, I know that they've had issues with people of color in this position for the last five years, then add $10,000 because that means you're dealing with some crazy white people probably, and (laughs) you're going to need some extra coin. You know what I'm saying? That's that's the reality of the situation is to say, like, did they have a climate survey or something that occurred that says, hey, there are some issues here. Use it as a leveraging opportunity and say, Mm -hmm. like, I need some extra time to do that. For example, if you're moving somewhere and you've never been there to a different state, you may say, can I get, can a real estate agent give me some, show me some areas so I can look at the price of li- the cost of living. And if the cost of living is high, then you know to raise your salary a little bit more, you know, stuff like that. That's a good point. Yeah. So take some, take some time and just don't, don't accept it too quickly and read the contract <laughs> because, you know, there have been situations where you can see little lines inside of a contract that seem like it's only one page that may or may not say stuff like, you know, before you can be promoted, X has to occur. Like you need to know the specifics and be comfortable with whatever those things are. Or you need to renegotiate them and say like, I'd like to transition. I'd like to be able to be an administrator. So what types of things can you help for me to have since, you know, the, the salary is not that great. There's, The sky is the limit. I mean, all they can say is no. And more than likely, if you know your value, they're going to come up with a medium. I have two questions. Okay, my the first question is, do you think we should always walk in? We should always prepare to negotiate. Or are there some sometimes or some instances where, you know, we should just just not worry about trying to negotiate at all. And then secondly, how do you know when to walk away from the negotiation table with either, yes, I'm going to take it or no, I can't. Mm-hmm. One, <laughs> I believe that everything is a negotiation. So my answer is there is never, you could ask Dr. V this, there is never a time where you should not be negotiating. Because if you offer me a pack of gum, I'm going to ask for two because <laughs> I'm going to need to know that you're invested in me. I see the negotiation. It's so true. You know it's true. This is how pro. Enlarge my territory. (laughs) Yes, and I'm telling you, because you can get a solid offer. Like I've gotten really good offers. I was like, whew, I wasn't even gonna ask for that. But now I know where we started. It's a different lane, okay? Right. <laughs> so now I'm a, you asked, you gave me 10,000 for professional development. I'm gonna need 15, you know? Like, <laughs> so that has happened. Now, when you walk away, I think, so here's what'll happen sometimes. Negotiations are not always pretty. They're not always going to come back and be like, why, yes, we think you are worth this $15,000. You know what I'm saying? Some people 
predominantly my experiences in higher ed are with the men that I've negotiated with. Ooh, they get nasty. And let me let you know, I'm a fan of saying I have multiple offers because I do have multiple offers. I never really put all eggs in one basket because I invest in myself, like I said before. And so I have to know that if you're nasty in a negotiation process, you'll be nasty as my boss. And I have, I had a job I really, really wanted, <sighs> really, really wanted. But the, the negotiation process went negatively when the administrator began to take jabs and, and, and flat out said in an email, bolded and underlined, you're not worth what you're asking for. I said, sir, you got the wrong system because the university what? already offered me double. And, and I said, and I was like, and I can provide you the documentation. Oh, yes. Yes, he did. He said it. And the interesting thing is that I had a positive, 100% positive visit to the campus. I loved the people, the curriculum, the space and everything. Very well-known space. Um, it was a city I had wanted to live in for my entire adult life. I mean, I literally had all of the moments that like all the stars were aligned. But realistically, when I got that email, it, what happened was too that the salary was not, I was not going to be able to live in that city on that salary because it was a very well-known city. And because of that, the cost of living was astronomical. I have student loans. I have things I need to pay for. And I am no longer on a ramen noodle diet. So you're going to have to pay me more. <laughs> you know? Come on. Lobster. Let's go. <laughs> Forget lobster. I just can't get a sandwich. I'm trying to just be able to get, you know, five dollar foot long. Come on, Let's go. So, so I walked away from that. I think you walk away from a negotiation when you see toxicity because it's demonstrative of what could be in the, the environment. Because again, if somebody really wants you to be there, you will know it because they will work with you and they'll say, okay, well, we can't give you, you know, ten thousand extra dollars, but we can give you three. And then the opportunity to come back in a year to do whatever, whatever. There's some ways to be flexible. There's some ways to sweeten the pot that, and sometimes they're just going to say, we can't do that. Like what else might be helpful versus, you know, you're not worth it. Well, I know what my worth is. So it's not worth me working for somebody that would say something like that. We don't like, that's just not going to work, you know? So the, thus, yeah, one, always negotiate and two, leave the table when you see toxicity. That's good. I like that. I, I like the fact that you said that if you're going to be toxic in this, even before I get there, you're going to be that yeah. way when I get there. So. I mean, imagine, like, think about all the things that we go through. Like, even mm-hmm. we could talk about what all of us went through today. Like, forget about the rest of the week. Let's just talk today. And you need to be able to have some type of administrative support in situations that are not going to treat you terribly. And if they're going to do that in the beginning, that means they're not going to go for, to bat for you when the going gets tough. And the going will get tough in higher ed, being a a, a woman of color in particular, you know, that's just a given. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, man, you're giving us some nuggets. (laughs) This is is like a masterclass almost. Listen, like, and and I I, I told y'all that, like, she's the G with it. Because, I mean, I think, and that really kind of goes into how we were even kind of initially thinking about that. We've had this conversation of, you know, we need to be talking about these salary negotiation processes because that's different, you yeah. know, the ways that we show up in these spaces. And so I guess that kind of leads into the question because, you know, research says, you know, women, because like, I know I've sat in a presentation that like, well, all women struggle with this. But do you think though, that this issue as it relates to negotiating salary and understanding your worth? And I love the idea 
and really the thought of thinking about the atmosphere that you're coming into, because that's really important when we're thinking about that. And, you know, okay, so is this going to be a place that's going to fit for me and what I, and what I need in terms of my well-being? Do you feel that the issue of that salary negotiation, is it intersectional? Is it, does it look different, particularly as it relates to Black women? Or is this something, because we can say, you know, research has said, okay, well, women in general, but how do you see this framing differently, looking differently as it relates to being Black women? Yeah, I, I mean, I think anything with Black women is intersectional, but you're talking to a a Black social worker who is a critical social worker. So I want to put that context out there because I feel like one of the issues with Black women in general, and I, I think spirituality in the church is involved in it. I think we are indoctrined from a young age to engage in spaces of power in a more submissive type of capacity. And unless you go through the process of sort of you know, retraining your mind frame to understand that you being a value in this space does not disempower somebody else. It just asserts your own individual power, you know, the empowerment of yourself in these spaces, then you're not going to be able to do it. Because essentially what I'm suggesting that you do is to go against our norm, right? It's to go into a space and a space that is not predominantly one where we are the leaders a lot of times. And to say like, I am worthy and not only I'm worthy, but you're going to pay me what I deserve to be paid for yeah. my skill set. That is something that just in general is culturally something we don't typically do oftentimes, you know, and it's problematic for us in higher education spaces because we're asked to do so much work. I am asked to do more work than my other colleagues, especially in a space where there are fewer Black women in them. I'm asked to be on more diversity committees. I'm asked to be able to be, say it, girl. you know, <laughs> to work with more Black students. I'm given those things out on top of the other requirements for the job, which means that you, we, it's sort of like, you know, I know, Valerie, your research really looks at what it's like in this mothering concept of, of, of nature when it is in student affairs, it's no different than we, we want for people to feel comfortable innately. I say you have to get rid of that and realize that for people to feel comfortable, you also have to feel comfortable. You also have to be able to know what you need to do your job. And you can't be afraid to ask for it and then complain later. I am really, really not a proponent, and you can ask her, I am not a proponent of complaining about something that you are not willing to address. So she says it all the time. Come on. No, no, no. You can complain, but complain about it after, you know what I'm saying? We've tried to do what we could do to, I think, address the situation because I don't believe in being passive aggressive. We can't inside of this type of higher ed space. We have to be not even aggressive, but we just have to be authentic. And authentically, if I deserve to be at the table, you have to pay me what my worth is. So is it intersectional? Absolutely. Because what we're bringing with us is the contextualized experience of our own experience as Black women, not only in society, but in our families and in community. And when you are in a predominant space where you are going against those norms, you have no, you, there, there can't, it can't not be intersectional, but it is the problem. I do not, for example, I'll give you a story. My very first academic job, I negotiated a really good salary. The school did not have a lot of resources, but I negotiated as many of the resources that they had. I had a colleague who is a good friend of mine to this day, very, very good friend. She also was at this job 
and she was started a year before I did there. Excuse me. And when, you know, you can go up and look at salaries. And so she went and looked up my salary when they were posted and was pissed that I was making 10 more thousand dollars than she was for the same job. So my friend actually came to me and was just like, it, it was honest and said, I'm upset because I noticed that we're getting paid differently. And I, you know, me, I'm like, well, you don't know me, sorry. I have, I was like, how did you even know that? Cause at that time I didn't really, I'm not a person who's going to go look up people's stuff. Like I'm not keeping track of what you're doing. I'm keeping track of my own coin. And I should also say in this moment that I see the university opportunity as leverage for other things you can do. I don't see that you're going to make sufficient coin at the university to luxuriate is what I call it, but it can be leveraged to do other business opportunities and so forth as well. So I, I keep that in mind, right? But, and I say that because she had maybe making less money than me and we're doing the same job. She was very upset. And I was like, well, didn't you negotiate your salary? And she was like, well, no one told me I can negotiate. And I was like, well, they're not going to say, hey, this is our starting offer. You know, I've been negotiating my salary since I was working at Popeye's for $7.25. Come on, come on with it. <laughs> you know? So she was upset. And I was like, you can't get upset that somebody else negotiated something that was meaningful for them and you didn't take that opportunity. So wow. now we're doing the same job with the same credentials and the same degree. And my retirement is going to be more because I negotiated my a higher base salary. You feel what I'm mm -hmm. saying? So yeah. you, you don't take the opportunity, you lose it. And then you're going to look up your colleague or find out what they're doing down the hall and be upset that, you know, Linda over there is making, you know, 7,000 more dollars, but Linda negotiated. So don't be mad. Yeah. So with that and all that you're saying, when you think about salary negotiation, your process, does it change depending on the institutional type? Hmm. Well, I don't know if it changes. I mean, you know, I'm going to call the thing a thing. Because, you yeah. know, working, working so, in all the institutions, working in HBCUs, yeah, you take a their cut. resources are. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, what does that, how do you do that? Yeah, you do take a cut because their resources are different. I don't actually think the process is different. I think what's different is what you're using in toward what you're considering a resource. So for example, at a larger institution, your resource may be a higher salary. It could be six figures. You know, coming, I'm going to be honest, coming from a space where I was at a university and made six figures to a space where you don't make six figures is a cut. So when I go to negotiate and say like, I'm taking a hit just by considering moving to a space that doesn't have as many resources. So what would offset the loss of the dollars as opposed to the loss of quote unquote, the resources. And there are some things like you can do, for example, you could negotiate to go up for a promotion earlier. Like I negotiated to go up for tenure earlier. I took, I am a person who like on a tenure track clock, we have our years with us, right? It takes six years to be able, sorry, in most places it's six years, some places five years to be able to get tenure in different positions. When you go to from institution to institution, a lot of times people don't negotiate to take that with them. They start over. So if you're starting over, that's another six years and another six years. So I can say, actually, I want to take all five of my years and go up next year and become an associate professor. Or I can say, Come on. yes, right. So, <laughs> so that's what I'm saying. 
what is a resource and how do you leverage it? If I'm coming from a space that has more resources and I'm going to a space that has less resources, right? Technically, I am the better resource. Right. So what can I do to leverage myself in that space? I'm not starting my time over because I already meet your qualifications. However, right. I want to cut that all the way down to like 1% and be able to go up and then be a senior person in a shorter period of time. Mm-hmm. So you yeah. negotiate, you see what I'm saying? So it's, it's the same type of thing, but the value is different because you're not, it's not going to be dollars. It's going to be a different type of resource. What type of capital are we talking? Social capital, cultural capital, economic capital. You feel me? Right. But you know what though, also though, in your answer, it also sounds like you're, you're not also just focusing on the salary. You're also focusing on the entire part of it. And so whether we're, you know, if you're trying to move in a place, if you, if you were in a place that had zero folks of color and you're wanting to be around more people of color, you're also wanting that, that's also, you know, you're thinking about that as it relates to the salary negotiation too piece, right? Yes. You're thinking about, that's the thing is the resources. Resources is not always economic resources can be a lot of other things as well because usually when you make that type of leap it's for quality of life so can I negotiate to have a nine to five and to not work weekends and to not work at night can I negotiate and have the hours be what I want to do and then not have to respond to your emails throughout the you know what I'm saying what are the resources that you can leverage and utilize because you're going to take a hit financially but you may have a boost in all the other aspects of your life And if you're going to do that, then what would make it most meaningful if you're going to do something like that? Because you're not going to be able to go from, you know, a top ranking PWI to even a top ranking HBCU and have the same resources. That's not going to happen. That's unreal. You know, but what you can have is you can work a life where you're like, I don't work weekends. And right. not only do I not work weekends, but I am off work by six o'clock, which allows for me to have a consulting business, which is, you know, something that I, I can do more consulting. My consulting brings in way more mm-hmm. money than my salary. So why not do that more? Right. Or you can have the opportunity, like I said, to move up further and have inside of your contract. Like I want to go up for review to be, you know, a supervisor for some department within this amount of time. There are other resources you can leverage inside of the space that are not economic. And you got to think that through because there are some times that you think you're taking a step back, but you're not. You're taking a step forward via career longevity in a different way. So you're shifting your trajectory and you're making sure that your trajectory is what you're always focused on. Because I'm a big proponent that the coins, you can always, if you, you can always recoup the coin. However, there are certain yes. things you cannot recoup. The coin you can recoup. You can always right. be where the money resides, right? You can always be where the money <laughs> come resides. Come on, girl. <laughs> and that's on who? Very <laughs> little lamb, right? And that's on who? <laughs> you can always do that. <laughs> so, you know, you talk a lot about resources. What are some, because I've heard you say a lot of different resources, mm-hmm. like, you know, if you have your own consultant, you know, you can leverage that, you know, professional development. I heard you say real estate. What are some resources that we as Black women are not thinking about that we can leverage in that salary negotiation? Oh, that's a good question. One, I don't think you should ever tell the <laughs> university what you're really doing, to be honest. 
It's none of their business. Okay. That's my business. Okay. Come on. Okay. Right. So the things that I would focus on is getting the, when I, I think things that we don't think about in terms of, you're saying what we don't think about as black women in terms of resources, depend upon that yes. where you're going. I don't think we think about our time mm-hmm. as a resource, quite frankly. So a lot of people mm-hmm. work six, seven days a week. <laughs> that sounds ridiculous to me. I work five days a week. <laughs> And ask Dr. V how long I've been working five days a week. And when I say I work five day week, days a week, I don't answer emails or respond. And that is a part of my negotiation as well, is that I work a five day week, Monday through Friday, because that's the hours that I put in. And I don't work 14 hour days. I was speaking with a friend of mine. She just took a job as a director. She's working 14, 16 hour days, six days a week. That sounds insane to me because the university is not paying you for that, right? And what I had to realize was like, I was putting in all these hours of time and not realizing like my male counterparts are not doing that. They're not putting in those hours. They're not having to fix their kid, you know, dinners and do all these different things. They're not doing that. And so why am I not getting the same opportunities? I don't think we think about our time. I don't think we think about the fact that we may need a mental health day We may need an opportunity to just say like, I need a day where I don't respond to something and you got to be okay with doing that. I've talked with Dr. V in particular about making these boundaries and saying like, I'm not doing this because that system is going to operate without you. You can leave today or tomorrow and it's going to continue to function, but what's not going to function is you. So I don't think we think about our resources as our well-being. I'm really, really big on your well-being in higher education. Because, you know, yeah. the, what we know is that we are working more and we are faring worse. We have these high rates of depression, anxiety, stress, and so forth. Our hair falls out. We put on weight. All these things occur because we're internalizing this. And I don't think that we take the opportunity to, to say, like, I need to be able to work a five-day work week. Is that a component of something that I can do in this job? And if not, it may not be the job for me. That's the best one. The other stuff, you know, I think... Those are things where you can even negotiate at times to have like more EAP. Like I've seen it happen where EAP, you can go ahead and get those therapy access and so forth. They can increase that. If you say like, oh, I'd like to have six sections instead of four or six sessions a semester. Those are things that are within the wheelhouse. It's just, we don't think about our well-being in that way. We're focused a lot on the salary and not on the fact that you can make your six figures and not be able to spend it. That was good. You can make your six figures and not be able to spend it. Come on. Yes. That's the yes. Because these jobs, even though they may say permanent for some however long, they're temporary. They're temporary. And yes. you said they could be here today and go tomorrow. Like they'll replace you. It's, it's no problem. Without with that, nothing, man. you know. And so you don't want to have given yourself to a situation in a space. And again, in the process, understand, I understand that I'm disposable. That's why I have to know my worth. Because if I wake up tomorrow and they've taken away my job, I know I can go get another job because I know my worth at a table. And it doesn't have to be higher. You better preach, girl. So you yes. can't, yeah, you can't work in these systems. And, and I'm, we're, I've got a PhD. That You got a PhD. You ain't going to be unemployed. You know, use your skills. You got a master's degree. You got a bachelor's degree. We are educated people. You are going to find a job. 
You know what I'm saying? And more than likely in higher ed, it's going to double the salary outside of it. So realistically, remember that. Remember that we are, don't, how do I say this? It's, it's, it's the quote from the Players Club, really. But you know, you make the money. Don't let them make you. Yeah, I knew, I knew that was the quote. It's the truth. <laughs> I knew it was coming. Don't do that. I get so frustrated when I see people doing that because I'm just like, yo, they're not invested like that. In you. I just, it's a system. It's an organization and a system. It wasn't built by us. It's not built for us, right? You got to know that mentality. And you also have to realize that we have to make that system work for us, not work. You don't work harder for the system than yeah. it does for you. And, and I, I really yeah. believe we, it. We're we too busy chasing the coin. Don't change. Too busy the chasing the coin. The, coin. Will, the right. coin will come. The coin will come. But yeah. again, you can make. I mm-hmm. really believe it. You can make your six figures and not be able to spend it, and you got all this, you know, financial security that can be taken away, and no quality of life. Look. So six figures ain't a lot if you're crying in a bathtub. Like- I'm just saying. <laughs> not, not that you're crying in a bathtub, but you got your six figures. Hold up. We 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 have <laughs> financial security but personally insecure you got no partner you got no you know you don't go out because you ain't got time to go watch no movie you know and this is pre-pandemic obviously you know that type of things but we got to hold our that's the thing is like life is you have to for well-being purposes we make our decisions and you can make your decision and say i want financial security but financial security doesn't have to come at the cost of your other parts of your well-being as an individual you can have it, you know, yeah. be balanced out and neutral, neutralized out. So the money, I really believe that the money is always, you're, there's, I was making good money even before I had a PhD and I'm a social worker because I know how to go about leveraging and getting what you need to get. There's so many opportunities now to be able to do some different things, but well-being is something that is priceless. I really, truly believe that. Really believe it. So do- I had a send me today this diagram and it was like how we're taught to measure success is 50% salary 50% job title but a better way to measure it is like you know most mental health and physical health and the salary was like 25% of that Mm -hmm. and then you had job free time and liking what you do and so looking at this measure of success and for black folks in general since the beginning, that measure of success be how many you got a good government job. That's true. <laughs> what the government job giving you like, but good, we good can't do that. Yes, yeah. I think too though. Again, I'm not saying don't make any money. I really, you listen. I'm not saying that because I believe in the. I really mm-hmm. do, and I really. You could ask. Right. Ask Doctor V. I live a, a very good life, but very I, nice. <laughs> I live comfortably. Yes. But I do that in terms <laughs> of knowing that there are ways to have a good quality life without the expense of having to work, you know, 150 hours a week or whatever. And as an individual who, again, was, I worked at a top university in the top of my field. I was miserable. I had a great check. I was miserable. And I got everything I needed to do my job. And the racism I experienced and the trauma I experienced was not worth the coin. So I say you can have all these different things, but if your well-being is not intact, you can't, you can't do both. 
So negotiate those things so that you are in your best space, not just your best space financially, the best space to do your job and the best space to be your best self. Because that's ultimately what we're trying to do. That's why you see people who sometimes been like, you know, I never understood why someone would do a job for 20 or 30 years and, you know, be like, you know, I would say like, you didn't, you don't make very much money in this job. Like, why are you doing it? And it's genuinely because they find such joy in it because I, you know, coming from a space where you are a first gen college student, you know, we know what it's like to go from check to check. We know what it's like to be able to choose what you're going to pay. You're going to pay your water bill this week. So your lights don't get cut out. You know, like we know what that's like. So I think that fear is there. That's why we focus on the coin. But what ends up happening is we get to this space where we have the economic stability and we just don't have the rest of it. And it's really because along the way, we never realized what we really needed to do this job. And what we really need to do the job is a variety of different types of of resources in these areas, not just economic. And I'm a real big proponent of that. So, and you get to know from job to job a little bit about what more you need, because you might realize like, hey, I actually don't mind working on weekends. And, you know, I want the opportunity to work more weekends because I like to be able to do stuff during the week. So you want some flexibility. You know, you may want, you know, higher ed has its ups. You know, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good space to be in if you have it be working for you. But you must mm-hmm. know what it is you need to be most effective in the job, but also like to survive it. Because it's, yeah. <laughs> it's not for the week. No, and you know, and, and there's so many like, like bomb nuggets. Like if we were to even chop up this, you know, interview and be like, yeah, that's kind of like a tagline or, you know, there's just so many things that you said. But I think one of the things that I feel like folks don't really think about when we're having these conversations of salary negotiation are the well-being pieces and like, mm-hmm. and making sure that it's going to be a place that is going to keep you well you know, because they're not, they, they weren't created for that. They were created as a, you know, business money-making machine. And even those conversations is higher at a business or is it a, you know, educational institution? Well, it's a business. And I think you said something true in that, you know, if something happens to you tomorrow, it's going to continue to function. They gonna, you know, even the conversations we've had, you know, since the pandemic, I think we're also having conversations of, okay, so if something happens to you and you get COVID, how can we replace it? You know, and your class still function. That literally is a business model, right? And so some of the stuff that just, that you said today was just kind of like, you know, poking me in that way. It's a business. It's what I, I left out of the doc program. You know, being a social worker, I was so used to working in practice, in community with people. I was not used to higher ed. Higher ed is like Game of Thrones. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's <laughs> cutthroat on a regular basis. You can't trust nobody. You know, it's, it's a lot to get accustomed to, especially when you come into it. And I think we come into the space, with, like you're not thinking like, I'm about to make millions in higher ed. You're coming into the space wanting to make a comfortable living, but we have these preconceived notions about it as well. And I think that one of the things I've realized is that because we are replaceable, it means that you have to be able to get what you need in the beginning. And you gotta be comfortable with saying, I need this. Yeah. I also feel like there are other things you could ask, like do they work as a, do your colleagues work as a team or do they work individually? Are they more like individual contractors or do you work collectively? 
is that what you want? Because sometimes a job could be, there are a lot, like the pandemic is a lot for us. It's changed higher ed in a lot of different ways. It's been stressful. Students are stressed, faculty are stressed, staff are stressed, staff are getting cut, faculty. I mean, there's, there's so many crazy things happening, but I can tell you there's a difference between working collectively and working individually. And, you know, right. it's, it's like who and what makes you work best. And you may not want to work collectively. You may not be in a space where you, you want to work as an independent contractor in some type, way, shape or form. Find the spot that fits you. Fit is important. Resources are important. And being sure, like, I'm knowing why you chose a spot. If you chose it, I have a, a colleague, I'm new to Morgan, and there was there's some, there's a colleague there who complains a lot about a lot of things. And I was like, this may not be a good fit for you. Because if you're looking for it to be Harvard in terms of resources, I don't know why you came to the HBCU. That's not a good fit. You have to then say to yourself, this isn't a good fit for me. I want to work in a space that's more financially lucrative. Or this isn't a good fit for me. I, you know, it's, it's too black. It could be, you know? It just call it what it is. <laughs> sometimes it's like church in there. You'd be like, "Can we get through a meeting?" But the, uh, the <laughs> upside is like it has to be a fit for you. You know, yeah. it is important. You could be at a small university with minimal resources and an average salary and be the happiest you've ever been. And you could be at a large university making bomb six figures with every resource you need and be miserable and not even want to engage. So it's really important when you negotiate to know what you need and to know what's best for you to be successful. I think that's powerful. That's powerful. Often things that even how we're having these conversations now, I know outside of you, I wasn't having these conversations, you know, being first gen, it was just like, you know what, get 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 your talk about money. I was like, you got money. We got to talk. Like you got to be comfortable. Right, right, right. But it's so, it's so important, right? Because, you know, we spend all these years in school and all the studying and the dissertating and all the stuff and you get to these spaces and you're like, wait, okay, okay. How can I be happy? What do I need to do? What do I need to move around? Who do I need? Like, what do I need in terms of that? That EAP is real powerful too. Just, and, and that really kind of correlates in what we've been talking about this season and even last season about well, well-being and self-care yeah. and, and having that too factor in to the, your decision-making. And I want to say, and I don't want to cut you off. I want to say it's okay to know that these needs change and what you begin with can shift within a year to two years and so Mm -hmm. forth. Before, I don't know, like I wanna also bring up the fact that another way, say you negotiate, you think you got a solid deal and then you get into the space and you're like, ooh, I need some extra, this, that, and the third, right? Another way to do that is to go back on the market and get an offer and to have that offer be, it don't even matter if it's trash. It could be a bad offer. They don't gotta know. (laughs) Nobody's gonna know what's in your offer because they can't tell. So you go back on the market and interview, you bring back your offer and you say, I have another offer and I want to figure out if we can make what might make it match here or I may have to transition out. More than likely, you will be able to renegotiate your, your package. 
Now, see, that's powerful, too, because I don't think we think about oftentimes I think the thought is, well, shoot, I got it. So I just might as well, you know, whatever and be kind of unhappy. I think I remember you knew I was in a position for three years and there was no raise, no conferences, no anything. And I told her to leave. Oh, every day, every day, every minute, every hour. She was like, (laughs) why? I was crying to her on the phone. She was like, I don't know why we're doing this. You need to do what you need to do. Like all the time. <laughs> and I think we don't, we don't think about it because again, we're not acculturated to it, but this is something people do often. They, I mean, I am a person who, you know, in terms of the job market, I've been on many committees for it and stuff like that. And people, even in the interviews would be like, I mean, I'm trying to get another leverage opportunity from my own university. So don't waste your, you know, your stuff on me. So it's like, sometimes they will because they don't have any intent in it. There's no harm, no foul, because what that essentially means, honestly, is that they don't want us to waste any other resources on them. They want to be clear, right? I'm not suggesting you do that. I'm suggesting you do that internally or with your friends. But what I am saying is you can do that. You can get another offer and be okay. And again, that's you taking a step out on faith with yourself and saying, I know that my worth is better because I have an offer from this other, you know, this, uh, you don't even have to tell them where it's from. It's just another job offer. Right. Cause that's also none of their yeah. business. You don't have to tell them where it's from. It's just another job offer and say, this is what they offered me. Can we get close to matching that? Cause I'd really like to stay. And that's another way for you to see how they're wanting to invest in you as well. I love I think, it. I, I think you said something that I want to tap into because there are going to be some institutions that are going to say, we not gonna match. We can't match that, or we don't want to. You know what I mean? And I think that that I think Ooh. that that's also being prepared to actually say, okay, well, I'm going to leave because this does not fit me anymore. You know? And I think I think we have an extra conditioning, and by we, I want to say black women in general just have a conditioning to this idea that, you know, I don't want to ruffle feathers. I don't want to. And we overthink yeah. this negotiation process. And it's, it's, real simple. it's like so simple. It's real simple. I'm something you need and you got something that I want, not less barter. And it's really, it's quid pro quo and it's business. <laughs> Come on. It's true. It's, it's business <laughs> because you need to have the confidence of a mediocre white man. Seriously. <laughs> yes because you know what they don't think about (laughs) something valerie said like i have all these degrees i have all this stuff like they don't think about none of that you ain't have a high school diploma and walk in that office like i'm worth 50 yes and so you (laughs) have to you have to have the confidence of a mediocre white man who walks into a space and demands that you don't see his mediocrity so wow it's the truth it's the truth. I, I need yeah. a shirt. I've seen him. I say, I need, you know, you have to have the confidence of a mediocre white man in the business that we're in because you're, they're the ones propelling forward. I saw somebody become vice president, all technology stuff online. That, that man ain't never did nothing online at all, but he knew a friend who did. You feel me? His friend did, did him a solid and now he's running stuff in administration. And this is a large top tier university. You got to have the confidence of a mediocre white man in this space um, and be okay with it. Nobody needs to know that you don't, except for your friends, <laughs> your little circle of people. And that's it. Listen, so, that is a fake it till you make it. It's and, not fake. Listen. And walk they, out on faith. They, they are, time with it. 
you have to be okay with, and you have to, I do believe you have to be okay with leaving the table. You know, yeah. Nina Simone has a good one. You have to leave the table when love's not being served. Put, you got to be able to leave the table when you're not, you know what I'm saying? You better quote some Nina Simone up in here. Listen, I'm just saying, and we have to be okay with the fact that leaving the table is taking a leap out on yourself. You know, set yourself up so you know, like if I have to leave, I have to leave, but mm-hmm. know your worth in the process because they're going to treat you the way you allow yourself to be treated in the space. And, and, that, and that's, that's unfortunate, but true. Well, and that kind of leads us to, because there's a couple of questions as we as we uh, come to a close. I'm so, I'm so churchy. Uh, as we come to a close, there's, you know, there's a couple of questions that we've, that we've been kind of like really centering on as it relates to this season and also kind of in our previous season too, but as it relates to unmasking and although, you know, we're talking about, you know, masking you know, the pandemic, but kind of thinking of that on a conceptual lens of, you know, what as a black woman kind of like when did you realize that you were wearing a mask and the mask is you know what however you conceptualize what that mask is whether that is code switching you know in the academy like what that is but I guess the question really is when did you realize that you were kind of wearing a mask or have you ever done it and if you do do you still wear one so I think that's a good question probably for someone else because I don't deal with that and here's why I have to be who I am regardless I am the person who goes into an interview and I do this in the mall and saying I want to be clear I think working for higher education is working for the man and I'm one foot in and one foot out that's who I am that's authentically who I am And I have learned that it is best that I'm able to be in a space where I can authentically be who I am. And by that, the problem is that I don't know that I'm always everybody's taste, but I think the, the other thing is that I don't care because being authentic to me means that it's okay that some people are not going to be comfortable what I, with what I say or what I bring to the table. And I think I've gotten used to the fact that some people, I'm just not for everybody because they want you, they want a black person to be passive. I also understand in higher education, we have different roles that we believe that we should be playing. And Mm -hmm. so for some people who are more traditional and not, not as critical, they believe, and I've been told that I am a disgrace to black social workers as a doctor. Mm -hmm. And I've been told, which I laughed at, I was like, I mean, who gave you the authority to determine who is, and is not a disgrace, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like, it's sort of, I think the doctoral program for me was really this acculturation process where I felt like people were trying to make me develop into something I was not. Mm-hmm. And I believe that the doctoral process can be elitist. I believe that it can be, you know, divisive. And I just could not buy into the elitism of it because I became a doctor to be able to best help my communities be better, right? And to have the qualifications because I was in a space where somebody told me that I didn't have the qualifications to give a, a perspective. And, and that, that hit me in a way where I was just like, I never want to be in a space where somebody says, you don't have the qualifications to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just pissed me off, you know? But I think I continue, in terms of the mask and the code switching and all that, you know, I, I didn't do that even at the PWI. I was who I was and how I was going to be because I was comfortable with who I was and I worked hard to be who I was. I think that that process for me happened when I was working on my master's degree. 
And I dealt with a lot of things internally and individually to transition into the person that I, you know, I am today. Mm -hmm. I think that I continue to work on that. And I, I really work to be honest and authentic in all aspects of my life. I'm not saying that code switching doesn't happen. I'm saying that I think I do that in a way that doesn't, that isn't, isn't not me. Like, you know what I'm saying? Whether I ever, whether I'm in a sweatshirt, like right now, or whether I'm in a suit, just in a dissemination space, I'm still Dr. Coles, right? But I'm also still Crystal, you know what I mean? And I'm still the girl that's going to be honest, authentic, and whatever. I'm still the person that watches the reality TV Oh, and also deals with social justice and also gays, you know, I'm you know, having this conversation, like, am I a feminist? Am I a womanist? Am I, you know, like, I'm still this person, regardless of where I'm at. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that's really important because it goes back to knowing my value and knowing myself and not having other people or institutions determine that for me, you know, like, yeah. I've always been that way. I think, you know, more PC about it now probably than I was when me and Dr. V first met. Uh, we were a mess. We were a mess and I would cuss you out in a hot minute. Oh, yeah. Words now, you know, that may just, but at the same time, I've always been that way. I know people feel more comfortable in spaces. They feel like they have to be different um, people because they represent different things. But I think like, I have to be who I am. That's why I'm a social worker. That's why I work in the spaces that I work in and the schools that I work in because I cannot be the button up norm following the, I'm just, that's not me. I don't follow the rules. I'm going to say what I need to say and I'm going to make you feel uncomfortable so that we can make social change. That's my role. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately <sighs> and fortunately in yeah. all aspects of life. Listen, fortunately, you're going to get this. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> But it's worked so far. You know, like I said, I've gone from space to space. They accept it, you know. Now, whether they, they love it. accept it until I get it, you know, that's a whole different thing. But Girl, they're going to be fine. Um, <laughs> well, that leads me to uh, our last two questions. So there's, you know, questions that we, of course, have been asking as a trend. What are you, what songs are you listening to? As you know, we have a Spotify playlist that all of our guests recommend hey you gotta listen to this and we can add that to it but is there anything that you're listening to right now and also kind of with that question is there anything that you're reading or listening to as an audiobook that's kind of like you know speaking to your very soul i'm really into jasmine sullivan's hotels right now telling you we're gonna have to do a separate show on that oh um, yeah I have listened to, I mean, there's just so much happening in it. And uh, my partner is actually really into it too. So it's so fascinating because he's just like, this this is pop, this is popping. So I'm really into that right now. Mm-hmm. So our conversations are really interesting. Just, I think I really like the personification of the word ho and you know, just, there's so many aspects that I really enjoy, but you know, she can float too. So that's what I'm mostly listening to right now. And then I actually have been reading, I mean, it's been a struggle. I am reading Patricia Hill Collins' new book. Oh, yes. I struggle with this, but I'm reading it. It's Intersectionality as a Critical Social Theory. And I'm struggling because I don't think of intersectionality as a, as a theory, because it, it, it's not. It's, it's just not. It has no concepts, no propositions, but I can go into that whole thing. But that's um, not a whole thing. Kimberly Crenshaw, who uh, determined it, she also said that it is a lens 
not a theoretical it's frame. not a, it, i just it, but that's another podcast i am literally <laughs> i have read chapter one like so many times right <laughs> so anyway Maybe she's gonna give some propositions in the book she doesn't ice breeze through that's the whole i'm telling you yeah well we had talked about that book too because we're like okay so maybe this will give us like some structure i mean i can even go with almost a paradigm maybe and that's a stretch but anyway so i'm reading that because i am really trying to you know i want to propel thought especially in my area of work a bit forward as it relates to this intersectionality how we look at it through the lens of health disparities and things like that and so i've been thinking about What are some differing ways that I can do my research through that lens? And so I wanted to, you know, those, the concept is, is, is now it, it, it's been out for a while and we haven't done much with it outside of just saying it's a concept and, oh, these things are, you know, intersectional. And so I'm thinking about like how to propel that forward and paying homage to them too, because it's really transition thought, right? Like Mm -hmm. social, social thought is really transitioned quite a bit with it, but I am struggling. Um, (laughs) I'm reading that. That's what I'm currently reading. And I'm rereading because they're coming out with a movie. I'm rereading Sister Soldier's book. Because I haven't read it in a while. Oh, it's over there. I'm rereading The Coldest Winter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because did y'all know this is coming out with a movie? They're doing Yes. I, that's one of my favorite. That's like my one of my all-time favorite books. It's so good. It so, was so good. I wanted to read it again because it's been some time. But yeah, so... That's what I'm reading for. That's one for fun and one for thoughts. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Well, and you and I have talked about reading too. And you know, what happens after you finish your whole dissertation is like words. Why do I have to do anything with them? So listen, best of luck. I mean, I didn't do anything related to words for like a year. I couldn't look at words anymore. I was like, ugh. so um, (laughs) it's been some years now. So now I can go back to reading. I did also finish that you know, Donald Trump's niece wrote a book and I read that trash. I don't know why I subjected myself to that. But wow. I think, you know, I'd be trying to get other perspectives, but she really went in for right. like paragraph one. I don't know if y'all looked at it, but no, you know, it was terrible. So Listen, I love it. I, I love it. I'm a well-rounded. I've, I really am. Like Demetria says, like I'm a balance of ratchet and respectable, you know? which is also another great podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, so we just would like to just thank you for the space. Thank you for your time and just sharing your insight. I feel like there was so much that you said. I need to like rewind and go back into it. I mean, we're best friends. And so I listen to it anyway, but like, I just appreciate your candor um, and your insight because I think some of the things that you said I don't really think about that. You know, when we're thinking about salary negotiations, sometimes it's just about the coin, but it's not just about the coin. You know, you have to get in that space. What's going to happen once you get into that space. And so I just appreciated you shining light on that and in your perspective, because I definitely think folks are going to be enlightened from listening to this, but. Enlightened. Well, listen, I appreciate the space that you guys are developing and have because I think like black women in, in higher education in particular, we're one of the things is we're not monolithic. And I think the other thing is that I feel like we could do so much more if we get out of our own way and if we mm-hmm. work collaboratively together. So I'm always happy to do what I can. You know, I'm here as a resource no matter what. I know other people too. I think what y'all are doing is great. So you let me know. I've said it before, anything you need, I'm here. And, you know, 
I just I think it's so cool for us to be able to do stuff like this and to help people in the ways that we just weren't, you know, provided that support along the way. That's true. You definitely dropped some nuggets. And like I said, it felt like a master, a little mini masterclass. Mm-hmm. So I know I'll definitely be listening again to take some notes <laughs> and sharing them. But definitely thank you. Thank you for just yes. being authentic to you and how you're showing up in spaces. I, yeah. Listen, it's hard, as y'all know. Y'all know that it's hard to continue to just be who you are. So I work very much so to just just be authentic, be neutral, and to do the job and, and to do it well, hopefully. But I also want to be sure that we get what we need to be able to be well and healthy in our spaces too. And I really, really want to make sure we convey that, that nobody is going to do that for us. So I, that's why I say have your days off, negotiate what you need to, and remember it's a system like you know what i'm saying so Mm -hmm. we're just another cog in the wheel so don't die for the system when it would not die for you come through so yes well thank y'all for having me i'm so excited i I knew y'all so much (laughs) (laughs) 